Hello. Hello. How's it going, Ben? Good. Sam? Yes. Are you hiding? <laughs> no. Just okay. nobody asked. Nobody asked how it was going. <laughs> Is that what you're waiting on? I'm still still waiting. Hold on. How's it going, Sam? Good. <laughs> All right. Good morning and good morning. Good morning and welcome. Hi. Good morning to episode one thirty one of Hi, Matt. Really Wild. Hi. How's it going, <laughs> Sam? Prospectus Daily Podcast. Uh, joining us for the second day in a row, Matt Corey. Hello. Hello. We are talking about the Red Sox today uh, in our our continuing AL East East Coast bias tour of of 2013 teams. Uh, so we have brought Matt, Matt back again because he happened to write those two chapters because he is himself uh, East Coast biased. Uh, I'm the West Coast, but I'm East Coast biased. Yeah. Much like Sam, apparently. Yes. You live further west than any BP staff member, in fact. Wow. Is that true? You've you've looked at a map? Yeah. Well, Portland is... I, I, yeah, uh, Portland's further west than San Francisco, uh, or I guess Oakland, which is where Ian lives, and it's further west than Long Beach. Uh, anyway, yes. So we'll talk about the Red Sox first with Matt, and then with Chad Finn from the Boston Globe. First, we will ask Matt questions about the Red Sox, and Matt writes about the Red Sox regularly at, at Over the Monster. Uh, he also podcasts regularly, and you should you should listen to his podcasts. But now you can listen to our podcast with him on it. Matt, uh, you probably wrote a bit in your chapter about what went wrong last season i guess can you give us the 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 cliff notes version of of how you interpret the disastrous 2012 um i think it's sort of a three uh prong fork of death um first you had uh in and unfortunately i didn't use the term fork of death in the chapter i wonder if it's too late to add that uh (laughs) Anyway, um, there were uh, there were injuries. The, the Red Sox had, uh, I believe, more injuries, lost more man games to injury than um, than any team in uh, in the last five years. I want to say um, it might be the second most in that time span, but it's it's a lot. They lost a lot, um, so that's one. Uh, another thing is that the um, star players that were expected to be star players were not star players. Um, Adrian Gonzalez, while he was there, um, was pretty mediocre. Dustin Pedroia um, was mediocre and injured. Um, uh, Kevin Euclid was mediocre and then traded. Um, David Ortiz was really, really good and then injured, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and the, the third uh, prong, if you will, or even if you won't, is um, – the uh, dearly departed manager Bobby Valentine, um, and uh, yeah, it, it it seems like he had really no people skills, um, whatsoever. It, maybe kind of, maybe maybe people just didn't have Bobby Valentine skills. That is also possible. The entire world was just unprepared for his Bobby Valentineness. Um, so yeah, I mean there are you know a bunch of stories of. Um, you know, Valentine, uh, relating to his players, uh, in negative ways, um, you know, which began in spring training and sort of continued on to the point where, um, I guess before the big trade with the Dodgers, 
there was a, a meeting which included a bunch of the players and um, uh, the ownership and general manager. And the gist of the meeting was that they were all complaining about how much they hated the manager. Um, so, what was the perception of that hiring at the time? I think, um, well, I can t- I can give you my perception. Um, I, I don't know if I can speak for everybody, but I, I think, uh, I mean, initially the general manager, Ben Sherrington, um, wanted to hire Dale Swaim, who got hired by the Cubs. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, he, before Swaim was hired by the Cubs, he, um, took that choice to the owners and the owners, the Red Sox owners and the Red Sox owners vetoed it. Um, and after that, it, things get a little murky. Um, and then somehow, uh, they ended up with Bobby Valentine. Um, I think there was optimism that it could work. Um, you know, Valentine was in theory selected for a reason. Um, although after that year, it's sort of hard to fathom what that reason might have been. Does that give you less confidence in the front office? Or, I mean, I guess the front office's ability to hire managers, but also to do other things that that just went so spectacularly wrong right away? I mean, I guess... If it if if injuries happen that you can't really blame a front office for, maybe you can to some extent. Um, I mean, if if players underperform, maybe you can blame them, but it's all it's also sort of understandable. But if a manager just is that terrible a fit, and and it almost seemed like he would have been a bad fit in any clubhouse, kind of the the way things went. I guess you can't say that for sure, but he just seemed to relate so poorly to players that it it just seemed like that was not the right career for him anymore. And does that, what does that make you think about their hiring process or, or decision-making? Um, I, I think it depends on, uh, you know, who's making the decisions. Cause I, I don't, despite, you know, public statements to the contrary, I don't think anyone seriously thinks Ben Sherrington, the general manager, um, picked Bobby Valentine. I, I think he probably signed off on it. Um, after it was kind of decided already. Um, but, uh, I don't, I don't think that was ever his decision. I think that came from above and I don't think, um, the Red Sox new manager, John Farrell, um, came from above. I think that was, that was the guy Ben Sherrington wanted last year. Um, but they couldn't negotiate a way out, excuse me, out of, uh, Toronto for him. Um, I, I think part of also, uh, part of the reason that he went to get Valentine uh, is because of, you know, the collapse in 2011. Um, I used to know the num- <clears throat> sorry, I used to know the numbers by heart. Uh, I think they won four games in uh, September, something like that. It was horrible. And they, they blew a, a, a division and wildcard spot, um, wildcard spot spectacularly on the last day of the season. Um, and there was a, a widespread perception that the players had sort of, uh, taken over the clubhouse and were running rough shot and they needed a, disciplinarian to come in and um i guess uh you know ownership identified bobby valentine as that disciplinarian whether he was or not really doesn't matter um but i guess to answer your question um i'm I'm not that concerned about um, ben Sherrington's thought process um i remain concerned um about uh you know whether or not he gets to implement that thought process Mm mm-hmm Matt, the um, it seems that in Boston, probably more than in any other city, narratives get blown up 
um, you know, just completely out of proportion. And so, you know, when things are going well, things are going incredibly, incredibly well, and everybody's happy, and it seems like a really fun place to be. And when things are going poorly, it's uh, just sort of insufferable drama every day. And I just wonder if that, um, does that matter, do you think, uh, as to the team's performance? I mean, are there ways that that you think that um, that, that actually affects the team's play on the field? Do you think that the uh, collapse of 2011, for instance, played into the, you know, the disappointing 2012? Or is it mostly just uh, noise that we pay attention to, but that the team doesn't? That's hard to say, Sam. Um, I, I think that it might matter on, you know, on the periphery as for, you know, as far as, uh, you know, performance on the field goes. Um, I mean, I think I think it has started to affect the team's um, planning process. Um, you know, in terms of of going to get um, players, like I, I think that um, the team made a, a um, you know a, a decision to add a certain kind of player um, this offseason, One that I guess no one is immune to ridiculous um, media, you know, whatever. But um, one that would be more likely to, to not be affected by it. Um, you know, I, I think, uh, there were stories uh, in the media, uh, so I don't know, you know, but, uh, there were stories, uh, about Adrian Gonzalez and Carl Crawford and how, um, you know, they both had uh, a lot of problems with what was written about them. They were very sensitive. Um, I mean, who knows whether that's true. <laughs> so I, I guess to answer your question, I, I tend to think that, when it comes down to it, you know, when a pitcher's standing on the rubber and a batter's in the box, it doesn't matter what Dan Shaughnessy says. Um, but I think that, uh, you know, it, it, if it affects, you know, the players that they select, the manager that they select, and they have to have some sort of, you know, hardened outer shell um, because of the, you know, the withering criticism getting thrown at them, um, I think it, it, it then could have an effect on, on the, you know, play on the field. So uh, if they win 85 games this year and they don't make the playoffs, and in fact they you know miss the playoffs by by just a few games, uh, what do you think the reaction is going to be uh, in Boston media? Is it going to be uh, you know what what kind of idiotic team trades away Adrian Gonzalez? They would have made the playoffs if they'd kept him, or uh, is it going to be like oh good they took a step toward respectability and maybe next year they'll win the World Series? I think there are certain segments of the media that are going to be negative regardless of what happens almost. Um, I mean, I guess, you know, if they win a, a world series, it would be hard to be negative. Um, but, uh, but I think on, on the whole, if they win 85 games and are, you know, they're up till close to the end of the season, you know, in competition, um, I think the fans would be ecstatic. Um, and I think most of the, you know, media coverage, a couple people notwithstanding would probably reflect that. Um, I mean, it's the Red Sox had the you know, their worst season last year um, since I want to say the the late '60s. Um, I mean, they, it was, and yeah, it was it was really bad. I mean, the team that they put on the field in in September um, was you know a glorified Triple uh, A team, and so I think you know if the Red Sox are winning more games than they're losing, um, that would be very popular. And uh, I also think there is a, uh, you know, a, a feeling 
uh, at least amongst, uh, you know, internet fans, um, fans of the Red Sox on the internet, um, uh, of the Red Sox minor league system, um, sort of bringing up, um, a lot of talent and that talent will arrive, you know, in the next, uh, say year to, to two or three years. So, um, there should be a lot of, a lot of turnover, a lot of young players coming in. Um, and I think a lot of people are aware of that. And I think that there's, there's a, a feeling of promise, uh, certainly compared to the last you know year and a half anyway. Is that talent that's coming up, uh, sh- should it be considered trade bait if the Red Sox are, or I guess not trade bait, but trade fuel or whatever, if the Red Sox are close in July? I think it's going to depend on um, you know, what's available and, and you know, the specific situation. Um, I know that's kind of a cop-out. Um, I think there's, you know, the, the Red Sox uh, apparently had, um, you know, were, were presented um, with, you know, the, the Marlins deal that the, the Blue Jays ended up making um, mm-hmm. or some, some variation on that and, and declined to trade off. I think, um, you know, Xander Bogarts uh, was one of the um, one of the guys mentioned. I forget beyond that, but there were there two of their top prospects were, would have been traded at least, if not more. Um, and and the Red Sox declined to do that, so I would be really surprised um, if uh, if the Red Sox went and dealt um, a bunch of guys at the trade deadline. I th- I, I I can't really see that happening at all. Hmm. Interesting. So this trade is apparently uh, this is a report from November. Marlins wanted Will Middlebrooks, Felix Dubrant, Xander Bogarts, and uh, th- they were involved in the discussions for Reyes and Josh Johnson. Would you, just out of curiosity, how would you have felt if a trade, you know, along those lines had happened? Um, I think uh, one of the things, I think you maybe have, uh, you and Ben have discussed this before. One of the things about being a fan is that, you know, once your team makes a trade, you can kind of look at it from the other side because the, you know, those new players are now wearing your uniform. So you can sort of take the rosy glasses view of those, those guys and start to see the flaws in the guys that you just dealt away, you know. Um, Middlebrooks is a, is a talented young guy. Um, he doesn't really get on base, so you can start whining about that. Um, you know, Bogarts is in Double A. He's played a couple a couple of games in Double A. That's it. My cat is trying desperately to sit on the keyboard, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, I think uh, I love that. I love that the way that that, ha- that 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 sounds like it was your comment about Felix DeBront. Because <laughs> you had you had mentioned Middlebrooks, you mentioned Bogarts, and then just as Dupont is going to come into the conversation, never, <laughs> never mind. All right, go ahead. No, I was going to say I, I think uh, I think there, there's you know there's a, an argument to be made either way, um, you know, for a deal like that. Um, but I think the Red Sox have made you know uh, their feelings uh, relatively known about you know what they think about the team. Um, you know that they put the, on the field right now, and and what the future holds. I, I think you know, they went out and signed a bunch of guys to really short-term deals, and in some cases, um, arguably overpaid significantly to do that. Um, and uh, so, you know, they didn't want to commit long-term to anybody. They want to have spots open for the guys in the minors to come up and and take those take those spots. They want to have money available to supplement. You know, if if that doesn't happen. So, um, yeah. So of the moves that they did make and the additions they did make, uh, Victorino and, and Napoli and Gomes and Ross and Hanrahan and Uihara, all the things that they did, which I guess gave you the, the warmest, fuzziest feelings, and which did you like least? Um, 
I was really happy they were able to get Mike Napoli. Um, I'm a big fan of guys who hit the ball over the fence. And I, I think, uh, that, you know, there's been a lot written in the, in the Red Sox press about how Napoli's swing and, you know, his hit, his uh, spray charts, you know, would, would project in, um, in Fenway Park. And uh, I, I think he'll be a pretty good fit there. The, the fact that they got him for $5 million on a one-year deal also, also um, I mean, it came because of a you know, relatively serious hip condition that he has. Yeah, were, were you happier um, when it was a longer deal, but but as far as we knew, uh, a healthy Napoli or a shorter deal for a Napoli who's damaged goods to some extent? I think I was happier before. Um, I mean, I, I wouldn't wish that on anybody, you know, that a hip condition like that. Mm-hmm. Um so you know, it, it's definitely going to haunt him for the rest of his career. That's that's not a good thing for for him. You know, regardless of what team he plays for. Um, but the other thing is, you know, from a more um, you know cold-hearted standpoint. Yes, my um, standpoint. <laughs> there really isn't uh, a lot of first basemen, uh, you know, that are going to be you know on the free agent market uh, anytime soon. The Red Sox don't have any first basemen um, in their system. Uh, that anyone assumes is going to be an above-average first baseman at the major league level at this point. So having a healthy Mike Napoli for three years at first base was going to be, you know, the best possible scenario. And and you know they could still have that scenario. That could still happen. Um, you know, depending on on Napoli's health, maybe he'll, you know, and and, and how he performs this year. Maybe uh, the Red Sox will re-up him for another year or two. But um, but I think that's certainly a lot less likely now that he has that hip uh, condition um to, to answer your previous question though about um moves that i didn't like mm-hmm. i i think uh you know the shane victorino deal is is it's a little expensive um they gave uh i think i think they say they gave the napoli deal three years and 39 million dollars um to uh to victorino um I'm checking now as I type just to be sure. I think that's right. We we, yeah, we talked about our least favorite moves of the winter at some point, and that was one of mine. Yeah. I, I mean, I think there are, are fair reasons for it. I mean, this goes back kind of to one of the questions you asked me before about clubhouse guys, and Victorino is a, um, you know, a positive clubhouse presence or, or, or so. Um, so I hear I'm never in the clubhouse, but uh, that's that's what everyone says. Um, and so I think that played into the decision. The fact that Jacoby Ellsbury has had, um, season destroying injuries in two out of the last three seasons, including last year. Um, I think the fact that Victorino can step in and play, um, center field, um, at a, at a relatively high level, um, is what, you know, was a big selling point. Um, and also the fact that, um, Ellsbury is a free agent after this year, Scott Boris is his agent and he has shown, no um desire to re-sign in boston that's not to say he won't i mean i have no idea but um it certainly seems like he's going to be out there looking for the biggest um deal he can get and now with victorino um and uh, jackie bradley uh, in the minor league system it, it seems unlikely that that ellsbury will be back next season all right is it prediction time already you got this for else? me. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I will allow predictions to be made now. All right. Um, oh, by me? Yes. Oh. <laughs> yes. Um, 
All right, I'm going to guess the Red Sox are going to win 114 games. <laughs> um, no, I I think... Uh, With a margin I, of error of uh, 70, plus or minus, yeah, okay. 70 games, yeah. Mm-hmm. Either way, um, I think it's possible they could win 180, but not, not so likely. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I, I think uh, I think a lot of people are underselling the Red Sox. I think they've they filled up a lot of holes on their team. Um and uh, I think if they're pitching, uh, which we haven't talked about at all, but but if uh, I think if John Lester returns to sort of a career norm and Clay, Clay Buckles stays healthy, I don't think high 80s is out of the question at all. Um, 87, 88 wins. One thing, since you brought up the pitching that I wanted to ask before uh, about John Farrell, do you think that that is a move that was made in large part because the team hoped he would kind of help the pitchers who were not so good last year tap back into whatever made them good when he was around previously. Uh, do you do you expect that to happen, or do you think that was a major factor in why he was hired, or, or are there a lot of other things to recommend him to? I think there are other things to recommend him, but I think that was a, a relatively large factor. I think if you were going to make a, a pie chart, um, you know, it, it would it would be a prominent uh, piece of the pie somewhere around I don't know twenty thirty percent. I mean, I I think um, you know that when when you look back at the last two se- you know two and a half seasons whatever since since the collapse in twenty eleven, you know the big problem in Boston has been starting pitching. I mean, there's been lots of other problems too, um, but starting pitching has been um, really bad, and and that um, you know I I, I I think yeah. So I think I think adding Farrell. Um, the guy who was the pitching coach when when you know Buckholtz and was coming up and when Lester was you know thought to be one of the best young left-handers in, in the game, um, I, I think that definitely played a part in it. I don't think that was the only thing, um, but I think it definitely played a, a large part. Mm-hmm. Okay, we're done. Uh, AL East over, week over. Thank you, Matt, for joining us again. And thanks for having me. Uh, I appreciate it. Stay tuned for Chad Finn from the Boston Globe, who has written a couple of guest pieces for Baseball Prospectus after the intro. It may still be winter, but Baseball Prospectus is ready to play ball. Pete Barrett is taking you around the league with 30 insiders who cover Major League Baseball. Step into the box. The squeeze is on. And welcome to The Squeeze. I'm Pete Barrett, and joining me today on the telephone is Chad Finn, a sports writer and media columnist for the Boston Globe and author of Touching All the Bases, a blog on Boston.com. Chad, thanks for joining us. You bet, man. Glad to do it. Chad, I've been to Fenway Park a couple times. The first time I went, I was taught the correct way to say, Yuke. Now he's a Yankee. How's he going to be received? Uh, how's he get received in Boston? Uh, probably depends how things are going here for the Red Sox. Uh, if uh, if they're struggling out of the gate, and uh, uh, well, I guess they'll, they'll run into them right away down in the Bronx. They open with the Yankees, but uh, uh, once they get up here and uh, be a little bit later into the schedule, if the Red Sox are struggling, uh, he'll probably be pretty warmly received because he's kind of representative of a, a time that was uh, pretty good here, and most people sided with him against Bobby Valentine last year when he was eventually traded. Uh, but uh, the Red Sox and the Yankees are kind of in the same place, and I tend to think that's the way it's going to go. They'll be uh, uh, sort of in the thick of things. Maybe not the teams that beat in the AL East, but uh, both in the mix, and uh, probably be a little bit more resentful that he's wearing those pinstripes. I mean, Johnny Damon, uh, 
it was as, as crucial as anyone to helping them win the World Series, series in 2004, uh, two home runs in Game 7 of ALCS, and yet he still gets booed when he comes back here for being a uh, quote-unquote traitor. So uh, maybe you call it, but I, I think it ultimately comes down to how the team is uh, doing at the time and how bitter fans are, or not bitter. Yeah, and I bring up my little silly Uke antidote because it seems like everything written or uh, said about the Red Sox these days has to do with the atmosphere around Fenway and especially in the clubhouse. Valentine's gone, Farrell is in. Could be, be a, a great move. Um, I think he has the reputation of a no, S, no BS kind of guy. Um, but yeah. he has some of the same pro- problems and personalities to deal with. Does he have the skills to change the attitude of the clubhouse? Yeah, I think he does. He's got a lot of things working in his favor, and I know uh, not everybody was won over by him in Toronto. Omar Vizquel was pretty critical, but that uh, might have been because Omar Vizquel didn't play as much as he wanted to. Guys like Jose Bautista had Farrell's back and thought he was a pretty good manager, and Jose just got devastated by pitching injuries last year, so it was kind of tough to gauge. But uh, Farrell has some things in his favor coming back here. Number one, he's familiar to these guys. He was the pitching coach here under Terry Francona before he left for the Toronto job. Uh, Clay Buckles had a great season under him. Uh, John Lester developed into a legitimate, uh, if not a true ace, certainly a 1A or a a very, very good number two starter before his huge regression last year. So there's this feeling that uh, Farrell is a guy, and he's kind of an intimidating guy. He gets the John Wayne comparison all the time, and he had the respect of these guys that uh, maybe haven't been so respectful of their superiors the last couple of years. Uh, I think those things are going to work in his favor. He's had success with these guys. They know he's uh, not going to take any uh, uh, grief from them. And uh, the theory, too, is that if John Farrell can't get uh, John Lester back on track, then uh, nobody's going to get John Lester back on track. So uh, he has those things working for him. And overall, the clubhouse culture has really changed. Uh, they've made a conscious effort to bring in guys who have great reputations this offseason. They didn't make the big a big splash like some fans around here wanted, not having learned their lesson from the Carl Crawford uh, uh, issue a couple of years ago and uh, really going for big name stars that didn't quite fit right. Uh, they stayed away from Josh Hamilton, but they got Mike Napoli. They got Shane Victorino, the clubhouse guy. Ryan Dempster, one of the funniest guys in baseball. David Ross, uh, pitchers love throwing to him. Uh, so they've really cleaned that up quite a bit. They really, uh, they really made a, an, an effort to get back to having a likable team. I mean, not the note may star-studded Red Sox team people have seen around here, but uh, it's going to be one that's much easier to root for than the one we've seen since uh, September 1, 2011. We're talking Red Sox baseball on the squeeze with Chad Finn. Make sure you're following him on Twitter at Globe Chad Finn and. Uh, Chad, you made a great point, obviously, with uh, uh, pitching coach John Farrell, now the manager, had worked with John Lester and Clay Buckholtz when they experienced success. What do these guys need to change? Is it mechanics? Is it mentality? And and can they? Well, uh, individually, they had uh, kind of different seasons in in the way that they uh, didn't succeed to to, uh, didn't meet expectations. Uh, Lester just fell off the cliff last year. Uh, he really got uh, he got cutter happy. Seemed to lose a bit of velocity off his fastball. I wish I had the numbers in front of me, but I would guess that his uh, miles per hour was down quite a bit on his average velocity on uh, the fastball, and uh, he didn't look like he was in the best shape. He got into uh, whenever an umpire would make a call that he disagreed with, it seemed to throw him completely off track. You saw that kind of happening with some other guys last year too. It was really kind of alarming, and it was just a terrible season. Uh, Farrell is a guy who kept Lester in line. Lester's a good kid, but he uh, he seems to have 
uh, become a little bit more bitter or hard in the last couple of years, whether it's just being in the Boston market where uh, everybody's, uh, you know, there's never an easy day and never a simple day, never a day where you don't have a lot of media commitments, or whether it's just uh, something else that you got under the influence of guys like Beckett and Lackey that uh, maybe weren't the best clubhouse guys for him. Whatever it was, it, something was off of him last year, on the mound and off. And, uh, again, it's the feral factor that people are counting on to get him back on track. And so far, the reports are pretty good to Lester that uh, he's worked out. He's in the best shape he's been in a couple of years because everybody's always in the best shape of their lives uh, at this point, right, heading <laughs> yeah. into spring training. But uh, it, it, it's encouraging that he may be able to get back to that uh, that picture he was before if the velocity comes back a little bit. But uh, the Buckholz, he just started out terribly, got hammered in his first five or six starts, and then, uh, it was a pretty consistent pitcher when he was healthy. That's always the issue. He's never uh, never thrown uh, what more than 185 innings in a season. He had that great 2010 where he's 17 and 7, 2.33 ARA. Uh, Skip was a little bit higher, suggesting uh, he had, you know he had a little bit of luck that year. But uh, very very talented pitcher. He just has a hard time staying on the mound. He's so lanky and uh, seems to wear down pretty easily. But again, he's another guy who uh, had his best success and really developed into a quality major league starter when Farrell was here. So uh, those are the number one and number two guys you have in the Red Sox rotation, for better or worse. And uh, they're counting on that new manager who knows them so well to uh, to turn them around a little bit. Now, I was at a game at Fenway last summer, and the Red Sox got absolutely pounded by the Blue Jays. The Blue Jays now, this season, going into it, they got all the buzz, and you mentioned that you believe the Yankees, Red Sox, still in the thick of it in the division. How do you see this all playing out? Yeah, Toronto's the uh, the catchy team, just like uh, I guess Miami was entering last season, where they made the, they won the off season, made the big moves, uh, got the big names. But I'm still a little bit skeptical of uh, of what Toronto has done. Uh, Reyes isn't that much of an upgrade if you look at Warp and. Uh, some of the other player value numbers. He's really not much of an upgrade over Escobar. He's just a more more well-known name. Uh, Josh Johnson has one year left on his contract. He's coming off Tommy John surgery. He's had the, uh, he's a tremendous pitcher. Everybody loved that that guy in the rotation. But you're not sure that you can count on him for a full season. And as great as Dickey was, he was in the National League and was pitching for a real low-pressure team with the Mets, where there was just sort of not not a lot of chance of playing meaningful baseball. It's going to be interesting to see him being counted on. Uh, as the ace of a team that uh, has really high expectations for the first time in a long time. But uh, you look at their lineup at this point uh, here in uh, you know February 1st, uh, it'll be tomorrow, and you, you can see great things happening with them because there are a lot of recognizable big names on their roster. But once you get into that grind of AL East against that pitching staff in Tampa and that uh, uh, deep lineup when it's healthy, deep aging lineup uh, in New York and uh, – uh, the Red Sox have pretty good roster depth. Again, there's not a lot of star, uh, not star-studded, but uh, I think it's going to be a better team than people think just because of how dismal they were talent-wise late last season. And, of course, Baltimore, which was, uh, I, think, I think a lot of people look at the numbers think they were a fluke, but they did have a tremendous year. That's a tough division, and I think it's, uh, I think it's uh, kind of foolish to, to look at a team like Toronto and think, okay, they're going to run away with it because they've added all of this uh, – name talent you got to see how it meshes first and that's a lesson they learned in miami last year maybe a lesson they learned in toronto early this season yeah we all know dustin pedroia is an extremely important player uh for the red sox you indicated as much when you ranked him number one on your countdown of importance on boston.com last year he had the lowest obp of his career in a full season and his slugging percentage was the lowest it has been since his rookie season 
But he did win Rookie of the Year that year, and these stats also include an MVP season. Uh, but does Pedroia have to perform at the top of his game again for the Red Sox to win? He does, and you know, he played through a uh, thumb injury last year that probably should have had him on disabled list, uh, and it, he was terrible. He has a long history of playing through injuries and just having abysmal statistics when he does it. They, 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 he's a gamer and all those cliches, but uh, they need to uh, kind of prevent him from uh, hurting himself a little bit, and when he's injured, they need to get him out of there. That affected his numbers last year. When he was healthy, he was the same old Pedroia. And uh, culturally, he's hugely important to this team. Uh, he had his issues with Valentine last year, uh, but uh, you know he's acknowledged what went wrong, and he's a guy who's a leader and really cares, plays, plays his butt off every day. Uh, that's something that they need. I had a real hard time, actually, on that Boston.com thing, uh, determining whether it was him or Lester who should be number one, because uh, they're counting on Lester to be an ace, and he was about as far from it as you can get last year, so... Uh, they need him to be that number one guy, and that might be their most important thing, even above having a good bounce back from Pedroia. But Pedroia is just overall uh, meaning to this team and what he's produced in the lineup since he really developed in 2007 and onward, uh, and the fact that they're really trying to build uh, build something here in terms of having a likable, uh, dependable ball club rather than a star-studded ball club that lets you down. Uh, that, uh, that's why I ended up with Pedroia on the top of that list. Yeah, Pedroia and Lester are certainly 1A and 1B. Both very important. Chad Finn, a sports writer and media columnist for the Boston Globe. Thanks so much for joining us. You bet, man. Glad to do it anytime.